You're listening to KeonSports.com. If your small business would like a 30-second commercial during every broadcast moving forward of high school sports, professional sports, and Cleveland Browns coverage, please email me, Vince McKee, at CoachFin14 at Yahoo.com. Up next, Brian Hansen. Player Spotlight Series. Tonight, our guest, former professional NFL punter, Brian Hansen. Very, very excited to talk to him about his time in college and also the NFL. Played for multiple teams and saw a lot of success while he was there. Sit tight, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, Brian Hansen. And without any further ado, let's get him to the hotline now. All right, on our hotline tonight, very special guest, Brian Hansen. Former uh, NFL punter, uh, as you uh, a lot of our listeners knew him with the uh, Cleveland Browns, but he was also with the New Orleans Saints, the New England Patriots, and um, the New York Jets towards the tail end of his career, and also one season with Washington. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for looking me up and having me on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, so growing up in Iowa, when did you start playing sports? And what uh, what sports did you play? Oh, just about everything that happened to be in season. Um, growing up in a small town of 2,500 people, uh, that was the, I guess, the great thing about a small town is that there was an opportunity uh, to play sports and, uh, you know, get an opportunity to get some playing time because there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, kids to uh, – um, I mean, there was competition, but the, the numbers were right. So, um, yeah, I played whatever sport. Uh, I didn't didn't go out for football my junior year and uh, was just kind of focusing on track. And I was a pole vaulter, and that was kind of my first love as far as sports, that I, something I got really passionate about. And so I took a year off football and and uh, and got back into it my senior year and and uh, continued on from there. You know, Brian, I wanted to ask you to, you know, obviously we're going to talk a lot of football here, but I wanted to ask you one question a little bit outside of the box. You're old, you are old enough to clearly remember Team USA in hockey winning the gold medal in the 1980 Olympics. You know, everybody knows they beat the Soviets in the, in the semifinal round, and then they sure. went ahead and won the gold medal. I'm just curious, you know, as someone who grew up watching sports and playing sports like you did, and being around sports and being an athlete like you were, you know, how cool was that to grow up during that? And, you know, just because it had to give you pride as an American athlete. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, uh, think back, recall that that's, uh, it's a few years ago, but, uh, I do 
remember it and it was a, a big deal even though I wasn't a, a hockey fan you you became one uh, through that uh, short time of the Olympics and and uh, so it was yeah it was just neat to to see the possibilities uh, when you're the underdog and uh, I guess to know that all things all things are possible so it was uh, yeah it was exciting to uh, to see and and uh, yeah have that have that experience and and uh, be a part of it so yeah I mean no doubt about it I know in my lifetime I've seen uh, Buster Douglas knock out Mike Tyson and just uh, you know so many upsets along the way like major things like that and I was kind of wondered you know I'm, I was born in, in 82 so I missed that particular one by a couple years and just kind of always, you know, wish I was there to see that. So, you know, moving though back to you, though, why did you choose to attend the University of Sioux Falls out of, uh, you know, right out of high school? You had grown up there and then went to college there. I had a brother that, uh, that went there and played quarterback. And uh, I really, I didn't have a whole lot of options. There wasn't a whole lot of teams that were, or schools that were looking uh, at me. Uh, were interested in me or offered me any kind of scholarships. And so because I had a brother there and connection to the head coach, uh, he put in a good word for me. And I uh, somehow managed to get a $500 scholarship to a private uh, faith-based school, which didn't go very far. But I had an opportunity to to go to school and to play football and to run track. And, uh, yeah, it was just really – that was – my only option at, at the time. So, I mean, I could have gone to other schools, but there was nobody interested in, in uh, you know, offering any kind of scholarship or interest in me in any way. So that's that's how it worked. So with your brother playing quarterback, I have to ask, what got you interested in punting? And then back in, you know, those days in the, in the early 80s, um, you know, a lot of times the, the backup quarterback would hold the ball and, you know, snaps and everything else. Uh, you know, what kind of got you involved with that? I'm just kind of curious with quarterback already in the family, was it just, you decided to be a punter or just, you know, what, what drew you to that position? Well, um, yeah, in hindsight, I, I probably should have pursued the quarterback position, but, uh, the year that I took off my junior year, um, I ended up going to a University of South Dakota versus North Dakota State football game, and they had two of the best punters in the nation at the time. And uh, I was just really, I guess, intrigued and fascinated with watching them in pregame warmups. And uh, had heard they were the two best punters in the country, supposedly. And and then they kind of put on a show that day. And I just uh, took a special interest in it and. And that year off, I uh, I just started punting the ball, and uh, something in that kind of sparked an interest. And then I went out again my my senior year, and I really put a lot of time and effort. I'd get out early to practice and um, would work on my punting. I'd stay after practice and work on my punting, and and but prim- primarily I was a wide receiver, tight end and played defensive back in high school. And the majority of, you know, the coaches wanted me to, to work on that part of it. And so I just took this special interest because of that game that I went to. And uh, that kind of started it all. 
You know, so I wanted to ask you too, you know, you had a real good career uh, at Sioux City there. You know, you made first team All-American honors. It was a hell of a, you know, a hell of a career in college. Now, what was your reaction to getting drafted by the Saints in the ninth round? And I, I just want to put this out here for everybody listening. You know, nowadays we know that the NFL draft to be seven rounds. Well, back then, um, you know, there, there was a lot more rounds. I think there was 12, if I'm not mistaken. So we don't see nearly at all nowadays. I can't remember the last time you saw a punter get drafted in the, in the NFL draft. It's been a while. So for you to get drafted in the NFL, I mean, how great of a feeling was that? And what was your first reaction to going to New Orleans? Because New Orleans and Iowa, from what I understand, are, are vastly different. Yeah, it's it's two different two different worlds, and I was certainly, uh, I guess, very surprised, amazed, uh, thankful uh, to to get drafted. I never expected to get drafted. I did uh, was told that I was a good chance I'd get signed as a free agent, and I guess that's all I was really thinking would happen. Um, just because I came from a small school and every year they would say, you know, so-and-so is, you know, locally, uh, whether it was a South Dakota state or university of South Dakota or, or whatever local schools would have somebody that they thought was draft worthy and they never get drafted. So I just figured I'm not going to get drafted, but hopefully I'll get signed as a free agent. So I was, I was, uh, really surprised that, uh, yeah, I got drafted by the Saints, and and especially by the Saints because I'd never really had any contact with them. They had expressed any kind of interest, and and then uh, and then I knew that they had uh, Russell Erkslaven, who was there, and he was a number one draft pick as a punter and kicker, one of the only guys I think that's ever been drafted in the first round. That was a specialist. So I'm like, I don't know if that's the best place to go, but uh, they were obviously looking to to make a change, and it. And it worked out very well. What was the biggest adjustment that you had to make going from Sioux City to New Orleans? Because to me, you know, you seem like a very humble guy, very God-loving. Um, you know, the research that I did on you, it just it seems so like such a like you said, night and day, two different worlds. For you though, you know, leaving home and everything, and and, and making that trip and and playing in the pros. Initially, what was the biggest adjustment that you had to make and, and just accept that hey, life's going to be a little bit different now? there was there was a lot of adjustments to be made i mean just to try and get my head right and and uh just process you know the whole uh level that i was at and what was needed and expected for me to be successful i remember getting to to new orleans for kind of a month-long training in may and uh it's like i forgot how to kick the ball it was just i just got into this slump and I thought it was going to be over really quick. <laughs> and uh, so just, I guess, just dealing with, I don't know, the pressure, the expectations, uh, and then just kind of finding my, I guess, my groove and how I needed to approach it and get my mind right. Uh, that and, you know, just going out to the first preseason game in front of thousands of people instead of, you know, we played in front of maybe 500 people at a homecoming game at Sioux Falls. Right. So, so that was, that was an adjustment just to, you know, deal with the, uh, uh, yeah, the expectations and the pressure of performing at a high level and in doing that, you know, every day in practice and then 
in preseason and then trying to to uh, make it work during the season as well. So that was, um, yeah, a big transition because it was just a whole different world. Uh, I mean, some of the guys that played Division One, you know, were used to playing in front of big crowds and and in that kind of uh, atmosphere. So that was, uh, yeah, that was a big adjustment. You know, so a lot of people obviously remember your days with the Browns playing under Bill Belichick. Eventually you get to the Jets and they bring in Bill Parcells. And we're going to talk about Belichick and Parcells and, you know, a little bit later in this interview. But what I find fascinating about you is that you played for so many legendary head coaches. It's, it's incredible as your, as your pro career went, you know, went on. And it began in New Orleans under Bum Phillips. Everybody knows his son, Wade Phillips, who still coaches in the NFL today. But for you, you know, your first NFL head coach is Bum Phillips. That's a living legend right there. What was it like playing for him? Did he run a tight ship? Or, you know, how did he treat everybody? Bum was definitely uh, what you'd call a player's coach and uh, was great to, I guess, come in under his leadership and his uh, coaching philosophy. Um, He uh, didn't, didn't have a whole lot of uh there was hardly any negative at all he was always you know kind of an encourager and and, uh didn't have a whole lot of conversations with him but he just uh he respected guys he uh just dealt with you fairly uh was a good communicator and he was just a unique guy i mean just created a really neat atmosphere a family kind of an atmosphere and that started in training camp where, you know, every night in camp we'd have uh, pizza and chicken and beer. And uh, he'd, oh my he'd bring in his, he'd bring in his, his friends, uh, guys like Mo Bandy and these country music uh, performers, uh, songwriters. And they'd put on little concerts, you know, for, you know, every night. It was just kind of a post-workout uh, get-together after meetings and stuff. and just uh it was just yeah kind of a unique environment and, and a lot of fun well i can't even picture that <laughs> i mean in uh today's day and age holy smokes I and mean, that'd be a lot of fun now unfortunately it didn't work out for him uh he wasn't there too long after he, after you arrived um in 1987 the saints brought in jim mora you know another guy uh, a lot of fans remember you know they, they, as playoffs playoffs you know everybody remembers that epic sure. epic sound clip with the colts but, you know, he started with the Saints. Um, I grew up watching him coach the Saints. What was it like playing for Jim Mora? You know, what kind of transition was that like, going from Bum Phillips to Jim Mora? Well, it was like night and day. You go from a player's coach to a very uh, regimented, uh, structured, um, you know, high expectations. You don't you don't perform, you don't stick around. And, and uh, yeah, my first experience with him where he kind of established his uh, um, I guess his his rules and expectations was I uh, we were going to the first preseason game playing the Denver Broncos we were flying out of the uh, out of New Orleans and I we would actually pull into business aviation park our cars there and then jump right on the plane go up steps and I got stuck in in traffic and came through the gate one minute late and uh, and they were uh, 
beginning to shut the door and take the steps down and the uh the guy that was uh, working the runway uh saw me and he opened the door and went in and told coach Moore that you know we got one more player and uh he came back out shut the door and they moved the steps away and i was standing there on the on the, the tarmac basically oh my god and uh he said uh, he told the guy he says it's five o'clock we're out of here tell oh. him if he uh he can get a he can get his own ticket and fly out there and meet us <laughs> wow so so they're taxiing the the plane down the runway and all the guys are looking out the window <laughs> waving at me and laughing and I'm just standing there thinking, you got to be kidding me. But, uh, so he established a precedence that day, and uh, guys knew that they couldn't be late or they were going to be left behind. Holy smokes. That's a great story. I had no idea. Um, you know, moving on to that season as well, you know, and, and of course, a lot of a lot of um, the fans who listen to this show, they're going to want me to ask you Cleveland Browns questions. And, I'll you know, I'll get to those very shortly, but... You just had a, such a long career. I wanted to touch on a few things first. You know, the other one in 1987, the Saints go 12 and three, which is just unheard of. So the so the Saints perennial losers all of a sudden turn the corner, go 12 and three. But what a lot of people don't remember about 1987 is that most of the season was played with replacement players. Can you can you talk a little bit about that crazy situation? Like what was going on in the locker room? What you know was there pressure from the union to strike? How did you feel because you know, you want to keep your job. I mean, in that kind of situation, what do you need to do? Well, it was it was a uh, a challenging time to to say the least to go through uh, the strike and the replacement players or the scabs as we called them that came in, um, and then not knowing, you know, what position was and if we we're going to keep our jobs and how well the guy that replaced you did and for the most part those guys were gone but they did uh the punter they brought in did uh, fairly well and they kept him around on the on the practice squad for part of the season so um yeah it was really uh kind of a kind of a hard uh we knew that we needed to take a stand you know as as a group as the players to uh to get free agency in, that that was the right thing to do. And it changed the, the entire game of football. Uh, so it wasn't an easy thing. And a lot of guys ended up losing their jobs. And there was uh, some testing of relationships, you know, guys that didn't go on strike that continued to play. Um, you know, it really created some, some uh, adversity on the team and uh, some strained relationships. But... You know, we ended up uh, was I think it was three games they played. I can't remember. I thought it was three. Maybe it was more than that. But yeah, we uh, when we came back for whatever reason, we started playing well and got on a got on a roll. And uh, we were probably the hottest team going into the playoffs. And that didn't last long. We uh, played the Vikings and got beat forty four to ten in the, the wild card game. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was that was the end of it. You know, so during your time um, with the, with the Saints, <clears throat> you played alongside one of my favorite place kickers, Morton Anderson. And you know, if people go back and look at the record books, Morton Anderson is one of the top place kickers of all time. What what was it like playing with a legend like that? Because I, you know, here's the other thing too: when when you're either the place kicker or the punter, or maybe even the long snapper, 
you only play a handful of plays every game, you know? So you spend a lot of time uh, probably on the bench next to this guy or stretching next to this guy. Lord only knows what people are screaming and yelling at you from the stands. You, there, there has to be some good memories of, of playing with Morton Anderson, I'd imagine. Yeah, it was uh, a real honor to, to play with him and get to know him, and he's a good friend, and we've got a lot of uh, a lot of history together, and and uh, just to see, I guess to, to see his his uh, his approach to the game and how he was, um, you know, very passionate about what he did he wanted he wanted to be the best he wanted to be the guy at the end of the game that had the opportunity to you know to be the hero and I think that was the difference between him there's guys that don't necessarily want to be put in that position and he had uh, uh, I guess kind of exemplified that that he uh, you know he thrived on that and uh, he just had a whole lot of confidence so I just learned you know a ton from him just in his approach to the game and the way that he um, did his his craft, and he did it very well, and he worked very hard at it. And I mean, it was a it was a year round effort, and so he modeled that to me, um, you know, from the get go. That I got to see how he how he approached you know his workouts and how he approached the games, and you know, kind of the mental side of it. He helped me develop in all those areas, so I owe him a a ton. Um, just to have had that opportunity to see how he did it. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine a, a better person to learn from. You come in the league, uh, you know, a guy like that by your side, that is, in, you know, it's incredible luck, to say the least. Now, after you, you left New Orleans after 1989, spent one season in New England, so obviously Boston, a very passionate fan base. But then you landed in one of the best fan bases in, in all of sports, Cleveland, Ohio. So in 1991, you come in. Two-part question here for you: What were your first in question, first impressions of the Cleveland fan base, and we'll also what was your first impression of head coach Bill Belichick? Oh golly, uh, I really didn't know what to expect coming into into Cleveland. Uh, I just had never really been there, had heard things about it, uh, but. Didn't uh, know that much about Bill Belichick, but um, you know, I saw the the brand new facility, and uh, I knew that they had what they were hoping was going to be a, a very good coach and a very good um, program in place. I uh, I was excited for the opportunity, but the, the thing that won me over was the new facility, and uh, and just the tradition of. Uh, the Browns, and so I, I found out, you know, very quickly uh, what a great community it was uh, to play in. That uh, the places that I've been, I mean, I think all teams, you know, they've got they've got their fan base, and but I, I felt like Cleveland just embraced uh, us as as a team and as players, and just the opportunities that we had to do things in the community, and uh, yeah, there. Their support of us, even though we had some, you know, pretty average years when I was there. I think we were six and nine, and or seven, seven and nine, and six and eight, and maybe eight and eight one year. Nothing fantastic, but it was just a great, great community, great people, and I 
I really enjoyed my my three years there. What was it like playing for head coach Bill Belichick? Oh, well, it's interesting. He uh, he was a unique guy, uh, hard guy to, to figure out, and he wasn't uh, at least didn't display the genius <laughs> qualities <laughs> that that he has. Uh, you know the success that he's had. I mean, I'm sure it was there. I just didn't. Um, you know, just trying to figure the guy out, the way that he did things. Obviously, he does things differently to have the success that he has had. Um, he he uh, just, I don't know, it was different from the other coaches that I played for. Uh, very, very intense, very high expectations. And uh, But he didn't really have what I felt was the intangibles that you needed to be successful as a head coach. Uh, I guess I was wrong. But I think he, he learned that just in how to how to communicate with the players, how to have that that rapport and to gain that respect. And somehow uh, from when he started to, uh, you know, when he started to, to do it right, um, you know, he he learned that. I'm sure he adapted and realized there's some things I need to, to change. And, and maybe it wasn't that much. I don't know what it was like. You know, after he left, if he changed or if his system and just got the right players. I always remember hearing that uh, had Cleveland kept Bill Belichick or had he stayed, that he would have, regardless of where he was, he would have had that success. And I, I do believe that he was, uh, he had good people around him and uh, he was, he was focused on winning. And so that, that drive and that focus, um, you know, it's certainly evident in his expectations of us. So it just brought everybody to a, a higher level. And I think he, you know, he learned that from Bill Parcells. And I, I certainly uh, got to experience that as well. So there was just a, uh, a greater expectation. Well, I, yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more when you look at it all. Um, you know, what could have been if the Browns didn't move? Uh, he had them in a very good direction there, 94 making the playoffs. Obviously, 95 got you know everything screwed up, but yeah, it looked like towards the tail end of his stint in Cleveland, things were starting to really turn that corner. Now, you were part of a very special special teams, no pun intended there, <laughs> I'm not trying to make a joke, but you know the special teams you were a part of in Cleveland was actually pretty good. You had an incredible kick returner and punt returner and Eric Metcalf. Um, you were one of the top punters in the game, and then you had Matt Stover, who was almost a sure thing kicking the ball. How special of a unit was that? And, you know, what can you say about Stover and Metcalf? Well, both those guys were were exceptional at what they did. Uh, you know, Stover had a 20-year career, and and he started off a little shaky. He had he had his, his growing pains. Uh, but it's just, uh, you know, he just, he just uh, was consistent. Again, you know, had all the all the qualities of what it is to become a great kicker. Um, and mentally he was, he was sound. Uh, and we became good friends and had, had a lot in common and still uh, stay connected. Um, but yeah, he was, he was uh, an exceptionally good kicker and got better as, as time went on. Uh, Metcalf was, just a fun guy to watch. You knew that every time he got the ball, and everybody else knew that, the opponents knew that, that he had the potential to to bring it to the house. And I remember the game against the, the Steelers uh, at home, that he got two of them, I think, back-to-back. And 
you know, so it was just fun to have uh, uh, guys like that, talented guys like that to, to play with and make a difference in, in the special teams. So, you know, moving on here, and, and we're almost done. So, I, again, I, I appreciate it very, very much. You taking the time today to uh, to speak with me, very appreciative of that. Um, a few questions left here. In in <clears throat> in 1993, uh, the year starts off like gangbusters. You guys are three and zero. You know, you win against Cincinnati. You win on Monday Night Football against the heavily favored 49ers. That was awesome at home in front of that crowd. You go on the road and you you beat the um, at the time I want to say the Los Angeles Raiders. So you you know you you get to three and zero in '93, but all of a sudden, all holy heck breaks loose. There's a quarterback controversy between Vinny Testaverde and Bernie Kozar. Eventually, the move gets made, and then Kozar gets cut. How crazy was that to be a part of that situation where, you know, Bernie Kozar, who was beloved in Cleveland, suddenly isn't starting, and then he's off the team altogether. You know, how hard does it become to focus on your actual job with all that going on, and how do you focus? Well, you kind of learn to to do that if you're in the league for a while there's always something like that that's coming up that's a controversy and and uh can be a distraction and i'm just trying to remember what that was like um you kind of learn to just um focus on what you're doing and let everything else kind of take care of itself and i guess that was i guess individually the challenge for each of us is just uh to try to do that, but it has a residual effect. I mean, it affects it affects the team, and uh, it is a distraction, and you can't help but get caught up in it to some degree. But I uh, it was out of my control, and I just tried to do my job. But it was uh, Bill Belichick, uh, the beginning of him establishing this is the way I'm going to do things, and I'm going to make decisions. Uh, that people aren't going to like, but I feel need to be done for us to win. And obviously, it's decisions like that that he's done consistently. Uh, even though I was a big Bernie Kosar fan, I thought Bernie was great. Um, he just felt that uh, they could improve the position. And so you had to, you had to respect uh, his willingness to go against the, you know, the, the hometown uh, hero, basically and say, uh, we can do better, and I'm going to make a change, and I don't care what you say, this is what we're going to do. So uh, I think there was a level of, you know, misunderstanding, or, you know, what are you doing? This is Bernie Kozar, but also I think he established, you know, a level of respect that I'm going to make decisions that I think are best for the team, and I don't care if it is well-received by the team, by the community, by the fans. Uh, I've got to make hard decisions. So obviously that's that's uh, worked out well for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a couple, two questions left for you here. Eventually you end up in New York playing for the Jets after that, and, when, and who comes in but Bill Belichick again as an assistant coach, but with his mentor this time, Bill Parcells. You know, what was it like playing for Bill Parcells? Because, again, here you are with another legendary head coach who at, at that time – was already established as a two-time Super Bowl winning coach. He was already established. You know, how great was that, you know, getting that last kind of experience with Parcells? That was, uh, I mean, looking back, that was a great experience to be able to play for him. And he he did have uh, a respect for the older players that that was a good time to play for him as a 
as a rookie or a younger player, maybe not so much because he was he was pretty hard on those guys, and that was part of his the method to his madness. Uh, but uh, my first conversation with him was he was asking where I was. I heard that I was from South Dakota, said I'd never been there. Um, you know, and we just kind of some small talk and. And he says, uh, by the way, I'm going to let you know that I'm going to try and get rid of you this season and try to find a young guy to take your place. Wow. And I said, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, well, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, initially I was kind of set back by that. But then uh, as I learned how he did things and uh, his motivational uh, tactics, I think that was part motivation, but part reality and i think he wanted me to know that uh and he basically says i know what you can do um he said uh, says, but i i need to have and he was honest he said i'm i need to have a, a guy that's going to be ready in in three years because uh, as we you know are rebuilding in three years we want to make a run you know at the championship and uh, he says you're you're 38 years old in uh, three years, you'll be 41. He says, you know, as I've seen, uh, kickers and putters, uh, they can have success up to a certain point, but then the older guys at one point, it just stops working. And I'm going to be looking for the day that it stops working. And uh, and if it does, then I'm going to have a young guy ready to go. So I really appreciated that. I don't know if I did at the time, but uh, he was just telling me. And I, I guess I appreciate the fact that uh, he was he was honest with me and up front. Um, so it was an interesting roller coaster ride <clears throat> from there on for the next three years because he cut me to bring that young guy in. Uh, basically, after he told me I had a job, and uh, three days later he brought me back. I played for the next two years, and then he traded me the next year um, to the Packers and let them cut me because I don't think he had the heart to cut me again. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, so it was an interesting ride, but it was, I do look back at that with, uh, yeah, it was just a, a blessing to be able to, to play for Bill Parcells and, and Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll and Bum Phillips and, uh, even Jim Mora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question for you here. Um, you know, it's, it's funny cause you, you played for these teams and everything and, even though you personally never went to a Super Bowl, you know, a couple years back, more than a couple years now, but it seems just a couple years ago, the New Orleans Saints go to the Super Bowl and they win it. How great of a feeling was that for you to, to see the Saints win the Super Bowl? I mean, did you just, just kind of, I realize you're not from New Orleans, I get all that, but they're, they're the team that drafted you. Here we are all these years later, you know, whatever it was at that point, almost 30 years later, they win the Super Bowl. It had to feel kind of cool, huh? I mean, did you feel happy for that fan base? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a connection, uh, there's a disconnect, but a connection and a loyalty. Um, you know, I was there, actually, there played five years, was in the city six years, and so knowing what they had been through all those years, the lean years, and uh, being part of that, and then seeing the success that we had, the first playoff appearance in 1987 having the first winning season ever uh, in 1987 and coming back from playing the Pittsburgh Steelers um, when we had that 
that win that put us over the hump to have the the first winning season there was I don't know how many thousands of people it was like coming home after winning the Super Bowl it was literally uh it's been a whole lot different um but just knowing what they went through having the connection to New Orleans and then to see them uh finally get one that was it was sweet uh to be able to I guess say you're a part of it and to be part of the the Saints family and uh to have that connection so yeah, I was I was excited for the uh, for the team and for the city, and uh, yeah, to have been a part of that franchise. Paul Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time today. We want to wish you the best of luck moving forward. Where can our fans learn more about you? Are you are you still with the uh, South Dakota State in a FCA type role, or what exactly are you doing with them? Or at all right now, where you know fans could follow the rest of your uh, you know your career? Yes, I've. Uh, been with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in South Dakota uh, out of the Sioux Falls State Office. We're doing that for almost 22 years from the time that I I left left football. Uh, I started within actually a couple of months and had been doing that ever since and really blessed uh, to do something that I'm uh, passionate about and excited about. And uh, they, they, they let me uh, be a part of it. So I've been Really thankful and blessed. I'm just watching my Awesome. Sounds like you got a, a young grandkid there uh, vying for your attention. So we will let you go. I know how it is. I got a, I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old here waiting outside my door for me to come outside and play with them. So I'm going to let you go. <laughs> and uh, thank you for everything today, and best of luck moving forward. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, see Take care now. So that was Brian Hansen, and uh, yeah, I definitely remember growing up watching him play for the Saints and Browns, and I mean, he would just kick the ball, I mean, unbelievably well. Uh, definitely no, uh, what's the word here, no lame ducks, I guess I want to say, on his punts, no wounded ducks, whatever. I mean, he would just bombs away, and you knew you were going to switch that field position each and every time it left his foot. Thank you again, Brian Hansen, as we continue to have more and more former Cleveland Browns and NFLers in general on the show. For Keon Sports, I'm Vince McKee. Everybody have a great day.